Hello, and welcome to the Red Mountain Community Church podcast, where you can hear conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church as we figure out how to pursue Jesus together. Each episode highlights what God is doing in someone's life or a specific theme in light of what God has revealed in the Bible. I'm Kyle Fox, lead pastor of Red Mountain Community Church. We're actually recording this right now a few days before Christmas, so due to the busy season, there's no co-host today and no pater. You just get me, boring old Kyle, once again. But I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode on the podcast today was Dave Dravecki, a former professional baseball player for the Padres and the stinking Giants. <laughs> uh, and his journey as he uh, played baseball, as he went through cancer, and as he uh, was a public figure in the Christian world, and as he just sought to be a husband and a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, a faithful father to his children. It was such an honor and privilege to listen to his story, uh, such a profound testament to God's grace, uh, his, his stubborn pursuit of us in the midst of our sin, and it's a great testament to, to God's um, overwhelming love for his children. And so here's that conversation now. All right, we're here with Dave Dravecki. My name is Kyle Fox, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation, uh, Dave, and and uh, learning more about what God has done in your life, what He's instructed you in, how He's confronted you, how He's loved you, mm-hmm. how He's nurtured you along in your life. Um, and so, I, I, as I've thought about just your life. I've watched it from afar as a little boy, which we'll get into, and uh, it's a privilege for me mm-hmm. uh, to do this, and to have you be a part of Red Mountain is just an unbelievable joy to me. So thanks for doing this, Dave. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kyle. Thank you. I'm I'm really looking forward to talking to you, but when you said, as a young boy, that kind of hit me hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try and recover, but uh, here we go. I've, actually, you know what? It's been a real privilege for Jane and I when we moved here. About a year ago, um, obviously, as you know, Don Christensen, our buddy, invited us to come to church with him. And, um, you know, usually when you move into a new new town, you take time to look for a home church. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have to do that. And so it just feels really good to be able to call Red Mountain our home. And uh, we've enjoyed so much um, being a part of this community. So thank you. Thank you for the gift that you've been to us. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Mm-hmm. Let me, uh, what I want to do, I guess, is we'll start um, with your conversion uh, and just how you became a Christian and w- when you really feel like that relationship with the Lord became uh, maybe not a consistent thing in your life, but a, a tangible thing in your life. We'll, we'll say it like that. So when did you become a Christian? It was 1981. I had been traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I was in their minor league system at the time, Double um, A baseball, and had been traded over to the San Diego Padres right at the end of spring training in 1981. And prior to that, I had been in winter ball, playing, just keeping my skills honed, and and uh, it was in Columbia, South America. Mm. And I was lonely. Uh, 
you know, Jan and I both were lonely. We went to a third world country, not knowing what it was going to be like and actually thinking we were going to a tropical paradise. And I'll never forget um, being uh, just taken aback by the disregard for human life mm. um, and just the way people lived. And, and, and it, was, it was scary for us. It was a beautiful place, and the people were wonderful. But it was so different and something that we had never been exposed to before, especially that kind of poverty, when you had the, the very rich and wealthy on one side of the street and extreme poverty on the other side of the street, literally. And, and so what that did was that drove me to a small Bible study that was going on um, while we were down there. And while I was in the pirate organization, I would go to chapels on Sunday, and I would hear these guys give testimony. But I always thought, because I had gone to church once a week and paid my respects to God and had a belief in God, that I was cool. You know, everything was okay. But then when I got to Amarillo, Texas in 1981, um, my roommate, Byron Ballard, had just been traded from the New York Yankees to the San Diego Padres at the same time that I was being traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the San Diego mm. Padres. So I don't believe it was coincidence that the two of us became roommates and really close friends. Mm. And it was through his challenge to me to read the Bible, to discover who I was in relationship to God that began that journey of faith in really taking a close look at who God is in Dave Derecki's life. And it was that summer that I ran into Jesus. And it was through Byron's um, love for me and not his words, which was really interesting. I watched him play the game, and he had something that was very unique about him that I wanted. And so we began this journey together in talking about that. And obviously, in the beginning of our relationship, I discovered that he was a born-again believer, but that freaked me out. You know, I just thought, <laughs> Jesus freaks are really different. I don't know <laughs> if I want to go down that path, mm -hmm. you know? And yet, here's the coolest thing about it all. Everything in my life was going really good. You know, I was married, um, uh, had a wonderful wife. Um, my career was tracking really well. I was experiencing my dream I was a professional baseball player with the desire to become a major league pitcher. And um, so there was nothing going on in my life that would warrant me being desperate for something more. Um, but what I saw in Byron was an incredible peace. Mm. And I thought, man, I want to know what that is, Byron. And, and he shared Jesus with me. And that summer, we started reading the scriptures. What was even more amazing that summer was there were six other couples that were on the same journey together. So the beauty of doing it with other teammates was an added bonus mm. in this journey to discover who I was in relationship to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that, that summer, Jan and I um, made a public profession of our faith. Um, you know, we were baptized um, I'll never forget Pastor Roy Wheeler, Paramount Terrace Christian Church, Amarillo, Texas. Um, Byron, who led me to Christ, and his girlfriend um, were at the baptism of Jan and I, and uh, and Roy baptized us, and and it was it was just a wonderful experience. That's why I think when I come when we come to the worship services here and there's baptism, 
um, man, that's just so moving to me because of the incredible expression of, of, of a new life in Christ coming up out of the water mm. and being washed clean and all through the blood of Jesus. And so it was that summer that, um, that we literally uh, ran into Jesus as he was pursuing us. Yeah. You know, I love the way you say that. He's pursuing us. And, um, and, and, and we happened to uh, turn towards him and, and, and actually run into him as he pursued us, which was such a beautiful thing for Jan and I. And that began our faith journey. That began our journey with God um, that summer in 1981. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it is amazing how Jesus does pursue us and he puts people in our lives mm. uh, to let us know about what he's like and how much he uh, how much he loves us and how he wants to save us and help us. Yeah. So, okay, so summer of 1981, uh, I wasn't even alive yet, Dave. <laughs> I told you I was uncomfortable about that, dude. I, mean, I didn't want to go there. So, you know, and then you go there again, making me feel, you know, it's obvious with my gray hair. Um, I am a little older, but, uh, you know, I'm still feeling young and spry. At least I think on uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I am, when I'm not working out with Don. Uh-huh. So, so you and, and Jan start your relationship with Jesus. You're you're in the baseball world. You're experiencing some success there. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that next phase in your life up to when you had to, and then probably take us to the point where you had to be done playing baseball, and yeah. what that what that journey was like. Yeah, well, um, from a from a physical standpoint, up until the diagnosis of cancer. That life was amazing mm. because uh, the following year, uh, 1982, after being in the uh, Padres organization in 81, that summer I was 15 and 5. So I was selected the minor league pitcher of the year. Um, 1982, I get elevated to AAA, which is just a step away from the big leagues. And on June 8th of 1982, two days after our daughter Tiffany was born, I get called up to the big leagues. So it's, everything is going wonderful. You know, and this is part of my story that I define as the good. Um, and then, you know, I'm in the big leagues during that period of time. And, and for six years, even with the trade to San Francisco in 1987, God had placed some wonderful pastors in our lives and friends in our lives that from the faith journey standpoint were a huge encouragement to us. David Jeremiah was one of them. And being in San Diego, we had the opportunity to go to his church. And I'll never forget when he came to the house to visit with us. And he, and he brought a yellow legal pad with him. And we sat down at the dining room table. I'll never forget this. And he started writing on the pad. Didn't say a word. Just started writing on the pad. And then we began to talk. And he said, you know, I want to share something with you that has been relevant to me in my own life. And he had written up on the top, God, and then he had written marriage, and then he had written family, and then he had written work. And he said, Dave, he said, this is where I want to encourage you to keep your focus. God is first. Your, your wife is second, and then your kids. And after that is your work. And he said, the reason why I share this with you is because I put work up where God is. And I actually equated my work because I'm a pastor with God. And so I thought it was really cool. Mm. 
But he said, what ended up happening was I lost sight of not only my journey with God vertically, but my relationship with my wife horizontally. And he said, I had to make some adjustments in the way I live my life um, so that um, I would have, I would experience the fullness of life as a pastor. And, and it, was, it was just so encouraging to hear him say that. And so I had that all along. Also, the foundation of Scripture when it came to the issue of pain and suffering. Um, because what I would discover when the pain and suffering came was that every theology under the sun came at us. Um, and so we would have to deal with that at a separate time. Mm. But it was the foundation that was laid during that period of time, from the time I got to the big leagues in 1982, um, to experiencing an all-star game in 1983, which is a ton of fun, um, to 1984, going to the World Series with the Padres against the Tigers. We lost, but it was wonderful to be in the World Series. Yeah. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, my faith ebbed and flowed during that time because life was good, you know? And I, and I, and, and I have to be honest, um, as important as God was in my life during that time, He was the most important thing in my life. My journey with him ebbed and flowed. My rhythm wasn't consistent with him. Um, and, and it was because I would get lax when things were going well my way. And then all of a sudden, when things got tough, I found myself being drawn closer to him. I, that might you know, be a normal thing that happens to us you know, in our humanity. Um, but... I still knew deep down inside that I desired a consistency with him, mm. a daily consistency with him. But my problem um, was that I really struggled with this idea of pleasing God with my life. And so during that whole period of time, my whole focus was I want to live my life as a Christian to please God. Mm. And I would create these checklists. But the only problem with that was because my rhythm was so off, I get so disappointed because hard I couldn't, to keep the checklist. couldn't keep the checklist, man. <laughs> yeah. It was so frustrating. And so, you know, all of a sudden I found myself being traded to the San Francisco Giants. And and so my spiritual journey is ebbing and flowing. My my journey as a baseball player is doing great. Um, my marriage is doing good, but I've had my moments. My I've had bad moments in my marriage, you know. And now with raising kids, being an athlete, everything's about me. I've got to get my rest. So the frustration when I don't get my rest, things that don't happen around the house that I expect to happen, all these things play into this faith journey that I'm on, all the way through the the trade to San Francisco, and doing my best in all of it to please God, but getting frustrated because all too often my checklist I never complete. Hmm. And I get frustrated because of that. And so now I'm with the Giants, and things are going really well. 87, when I get traded to them in July, we go into postseason play at the end of the year. I went from a last-place team in the Padres to the first-place Giants. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in San Francisco, and life is going really well for us there. And 1988 is going to be my year. Have a great end of the 87 season, even though we didn't get to the World Series that year. We were in the playoffs. The next year, I go to spring training. Roger Craig, the manager for the Giants, says I'm going to be the opening day pitcher mm. for the Giants in 1988. I open up against the Dodgers. We win 
five to one. I beat Fernando Valenzuela. So all you Dodger fans out there, eat your hearts out. Um, and, and it was so much fun, and life was so good. And and it, you know, so now I'm continuing on that track in 1988. And you're thinking, here we go. Here we go, man. I'm going to win 20 games. Yeah. And that by the end of the season, um, I'm sitting in an examining room um, because a lump had developed on the outside of my left arm. And it was now half the size of a golf ball. And I'm waiting for the doctors to tell us what's invaded my body. Hmm. And um, and that was a that was a really scary time. And Jan and I sat in that room and and we basically waited for them to come in after I had the MRI. And all of a sudden we heard them stop at the door. And it was door was opened about three or four inches, by the way. And they we could hear them clip the films up underneath the lights to review them one more time before they came in to tell us that we had cancer. And we heard the word cancer outside the door, not in the door, face to face with the doctor. Mm. And Jan and I looked at each other and, and I just said, babe, we've got to pray. And um, it was one of those moments where I didn't know what to say. So I just said, God, I got no idea what's going on here. But whatever it is, give us the strength to endure the journey. That's all I ask. And uh, they came in and confirmed that, in fact, we had cancer. I had cancer. We had cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, we were about about to embark on a journey that uh, I had no clue what it was going to look like, none whatsoever. So you get the cancer diagnosis in the, towards the end of 88. Um, you get surgery. You... Uh, Get it somewhat taken care of, right? You- yeah, they re- they removed the tumor and fifty percent of my deltoid muscle, and then they did a, a a treatment called cryosurgery, which really was the freezing of the bone and mm-hmm. all its cells in the area to kill the cancer cells. So the only concern with that was when you freeze bone, you kill bone, but grow- bone will grow back. The question was how strong would the bone grow back, the humerus bone in my left arm, um, to be able to throw a baseball. Yeah, and so the initial. Um, the initial understanding was outside of a miracle, I'd never pitch again. Mm. I mean, that's what the docs told my wife and I. On three different times, my, ass, my wife asked the question, can you say that again? And he would repeat it. Can you say it again? And he would repeat it. And so they told us, look, all we want you to do is be able to get to a point where you can play catch with your son in the backyard. That's, all, that's our goal. But if things progress well, and you're showing us you might be able to go further, We'll move, for, we'll move forward and go further. But you have to be honest with us about everything that's going on in your arm. And, I, you know, Kyle, I got to tell you, man, um, that time in our life, um, it was hard. Mm. You know, uh, here I am as a Christian, expected to have this image. I'm a public figure. Um, people are expecting me as a Christian to be strong. I'm getting mail from people when I was diagnosed who are saying, your faith is so strong, Dave. I wish I had some of that. And what they were getting was this man's face in front of a camera, not behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know how scared I was. They didn't know how frustrating it could be going through 11 months of rehabilitation, wondering if you'll ever be able to play this game that you loved so much. And this was all you knew. 
They didn't know I didn't have a college degree. They didn't know that there was nothing to fall back on when the game was over. They didn't know that I had made bonehead decisions financially that would put us in a very bad position during my career in the major leagues until, you know, Mr. Don came along. They didn't know any of that backstory. They didn't know the frustrations that come with, you know, um, figuratively through rehabilitation, running into a wall and getting a bloody nose. And even in the bloody nose, knowing you got to get back up on your feet mm-hmm. and you got to keep moving forward, you know? And so, um, so it was a really hard journey, really hard, which probably is the reason why it was so gratifying when all of a sudden I made some breakthrough and the doctor said, now you're healthy enough to move forward and try and pitch again. And, and that process, it was the same. It ebbed and flowed. Again, I ran into some, figuratively speaking, walls that I got bloody nose, but now I'm trying to come back and play. And on August 10th, 1989, that was the most gratifying moment of all because that was the day I came back in the big leagues to pitch again. Hmm. And, and it was overwhelming because I looked back on, on how hard that journey was, and Jan and I both saw you know, how much God worked in that, even in the struggles, because we didn't lose sight of community. We didn't lose sight of the significance of our faith in this journey and God giving us the strength to endure. So whatever strength I had, it was what he gave. Mm -hmm. Because if I tried to operate out of my own, dude, I messed up bad, really bad. And so that was a wonderful time in relationship to um, the maturing that would take place in our faith as we walked through the struggles with our faith. That was an amazing time Hmm. now that I've been given the opportunity to look back. Um, But that day on August 10th, 1981 was a culmination of all of that and how God used all kinds of people to put me back on the mound to be able to pitch again. And that day was amazing. I threw a, a 93 pitches, eight complete innings, and we defeated the Cincinnati Reds four to three. It was an incredible celebration. Nobody thought I'd be able to do that. Right. Nobody. And the doctors told us three times, outside of a miracle, you'll never pitch again. And I sat back and I go, man, this is the coolest miracle of all to experience. And, and I had comments like, well, was it really a miracle? And, you know, I sat back and I thought about that, Kyle, and I thought, well, you know what? Here's the miracle. The miracle wasn't that all of a sudden I'm diagnosed with cancer, I'm healthy, and I'm pitching again. The miracle was the process. The miracle was seeing God's hand in Dr. Mushler, who performed the first surgery, seeing all the nurses that were associated with him, seeing the support of my parents during a very hard time, the support of my wife in the middle of all of that, the support of my teammate, teammates, the Giants organization, all the people that God used in, our, in this story culminated with an incredible thank you as I stood on the mound in Candlestick Park getting ready to pitch. Mm. And it's really interesting that on my way there, guess what song popped up on the cassette tape? <laughs> I do know my, what I do, do know, you know what a cassette are. is. <laughs> <laughs> um, give thanks with a grateful heart, mm. 
And so all I could do that day was stand on the mound and sing that song before I pitched. And it was the coolest moment. I remember Jan and I kneeling on the bed at on either side of the bed the morning of the comeback game. And we both looked at each other and just said, you know, God, this is incredible how far you have brought us. And we're just so thankful. Hmm. Little would we know what was to come after that game. So Which was what? Yeah. Um Five days later in Montreal, uh, Bob Nepper and I are having lunch pregame, and we're talking about the miracle of the comeback because in that press conference after the comeback game, I had an opportunity to thank Jesus, and it was just so cool um, because nobody knew what to ask me in the press conference, so I thought I'd just talk, you know. And Dave never has a problem with that, and so I just started talking about you know how significant it was that. God had given me a second chance, and I was so grateful through my faith in Jesus Christ to be able to stand there and talk about how fun it was. Mm. And then five days later, Bob Nepper and I are having a conversation, and he looks at me um, before we go to the ballpark, and he goes, you know, I hate to burst your bubble on this, but I don't think it's the miracle of the comeback that's so important. He said, I think it's the miracle of salvation in your life. And what God has done is given you a platform through baseball to share his love with those who hurt. And I sat there and I, well, that sounds great, Bob, but I'm back in the saddle. <laughs> I'm ready to pitch, man. And I've got a game tonight. You know, and I thought, well, that's really cool, but I'm really enjoying being back in my uniform and being part of the team and being a part of this thing that's going on. We're in a pennant drive. And so I go out and, you know, and start the game and, um, you know, things are going great. First five innings, shutting down the Expos, and, you know, and all of a sudden, uh, sixth inning rolls around, and there's one out, and a couple guys are on base, and Tim Raines is at the plate, and I throw a fastball, and my left arm snaps in half. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm laying on the ground, and guess whose words I heard? Bob Nepper. Hmm. It wasn't, oh, my gosh, God, you've taken this away from me. Why did you do this to me? It was Oh my gosh, God, what are you up to? Bob Nepper just finished saying to me five hours earlier, it's not the miracle of the comeback, but salvation. And you're giving me a platform through baseball to share your love with those who hurt. I'm laying on the ground in great pain. Mm. I don't know what this means, but you're up to something. And then I go to the hospital and I, you know, get the x-rays and I have a spiral oblique and I ultimately end up having to retire from the game of baseball. And the cancer keeps coming back and, you know, and uh, there's more therapy that I have to go through, radiation treatments. I battled a staph infection for 10 months. Mm -hmm. And then the doctors came and said it was time to remove your left arm and shoulder. And and so, so Kyle, in all of that, the faith journey didn't stop ebbing and flowing. The idea of performing well enough to please God didn't change. I was still in that mode and I was still having frustrations. But now you add on the career is gone. I have to retire. The cancer is back. And now I'm going to lose my arm. And the frustrations just kept mounting. Mm. And I would do my best to put the best face on that I could. No, to put the best mask on that I could. Because the reality was during that time in my life, I started throwing masks on. Mm. 
mm. because people needed to see me a one way in the public, but I could only hold that mask for so long. And then the real Dave came out behind closed doors. Mm. And, uh, and that was a really, really hard time, a really hard time. And when we got to the amputation, I thought, man, okay, we get rid of my arm, we get rid of all my problems, you know? And I don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. We could just get on with life. Mm. But then it was like, but being an amputee, who's going to hire me? I got to get a job. I didn't play during the time of baseball when multi, multi-million dollar contracts were coming out. And guys are, you know, they're, they're great grandkids. Great, great grandkids are going to be taken care of, you know? I was lucky that we were going to be able to take care of our own family. And all of a sudden, all those thoughts started rolling in my head and you know and and uh, about 3 weeks after the amputation the first 3 weeks were great i did really well i saw the opportunities when we were in the hospital to help other people um we were blessed with so much stuff i felt guilty that we had so much and so many on that hospital floor had so little so we would walk around the hospital floor and give all that stuff away mm. You know, we would share the flowers. We would share the cookies. We would share whatever we could because we couldn't hold it in our room. And they had it down in a closet, you know, on the, uh, in the, in the, you know, where the entrance to the hospital was because they couldn't put all the stuff in our room. And so those first three weeks were wonderful. But, um, but then all of a sudden reality sunk in. And, and as a quick side note to all of that, Jan was really beginning to struggle too as well. And going into clinical depression, and um, and really not getting the help that she needed because her husband was just saying, "Look, I'm the one going through the problems, not you. You look fine. Just suck it up." Mm. And that was really unfortunate, really unfortunate. But that was the place where we were at, you know, when the when the arm came off and and with the shoulder, and we were now. In real life, we were living. We were no longer living the fantasy of being a major league baseball player. In mm. the real world, um, it was harder. It was so much harder to um, to take the masks off um, because there were the expectations got so high. Being such a public figure now, going through cancer, and and that's when I started getting really ugly behind the scenes and mm. verbally abusive to my family to Jan. And, and it was just a really difficult time in our lives. And I'd go out, put those masks on, and I'd come back and rip them off real fast and be the real Dave and then go back out and put them back on again. And that um, was a very frustrating time. And when you would go back out, that's like speaking at churches or speaking at things. You yeah. became a Fundraisers. Speaker. Yeah. I became a motivational speaker. I became an inspirational speaker mm. during that period of time. How ironic. You know, I'm going out and inspiring people, and I'm coming home, and I I can't be that inspiration to my family. Mm. You know, that was that was hard. That was hard, and I didn't want to be that man, but I didn't know how to shed them. I didn't know what to do with them. I always thought, man, just keep making the list and trying to do it better. That's all. You know, the whole idea is you live life to please God. Period. Mm-hmm. And you know. I was not doing a good, I was not a good Christian, you know? Um, and, and, it, and, it, and when I say that, I want to make sure that people understand as they listen to this, um, and, 
and you might you might be sitting here listening to it and going, yeah, right, Dave. But I want to say that I wasn't an idiot every day, you know, um, you know. But I was pretty consistent at being an idiot, <laughs> you know. But it wasn't every day. Yeah. And uh, and so that was just a really really hard time. The gift the gift though were friends. Again, God brings people into your life for a reason. And when I prayed that prayer. In the examining room, I didn't really know what that would mean until we started actually living it out and understanding what endurance is. Mm. You know, because I said, God, whatever is going on in our lives, give us the strength to endure. And holy smokes, did he do that. Yeah. And it wasn't you know? just the endurance to get through a cancer diagnosis, it was endurance, endurance. to keep faith through yeah, all keep, of life. Absolutely. That was the endurance piece, was keeping faith through all of life. Mm. Not just when it's good. And my story is definitely about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And unfortunately, most of us have a story with those three words. It's just that some of us choose not to expose the ugly, and so we continue to live in bondage and not freedom because we refuse to expose the ugly. Mm -hmm. Because I discovered when we started exposing the ugly which was through counseling, 18 months of it that we went through counseling, and then another 12 for me and my anger issues, I began to experience the freedom that God ultimately wanted me to experience. Mm. But it was through exposure. Mm -hmm. And you know, I learned from a dear friend that if you want to reverse the cycle of sin, all you have to do is tell somebody else about it. <laughs> Get it out there. Get it out in the open. You know, you get it out in the open, and, and, and it can be dealt with, and you can move forward. Um, but if you continue to hide it, all it's going to do is create more and more pain. Yep. It's going to put you in more and more bondage. That's why I believe the authentic life as a follower of Jesus Christ is so critical to living the fullness of life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, there may be pain in the process. Yeah, and there's a way that that gets amplified with with public figures or celebrities, like you were saying. To be mm -hmm. a Christian and to be a public figure is very difficult, uh, which is what we've seen play out, especially in the lives of many popular pastors and ministers in the last 10 years. Yeah. Is that public life where you're expected to say the right things or be a certain way uh, is tough, it's a tough thing that we've got going on in the church. And I don't have any solutions to that necessarily, except that um, everybody, whether you're a public figure, well-known or not known, has to live the authentic life. You have to be truthful. You yeah. have to confess. You have to um, engage with the Lord in a personal way. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. I think in, 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 my, in, in our journey, what we've discovered is that I wanted to be treated just like everybody else. Yeah. And I was no different than anybody else. Jan, Jan likes to refer to Dave and Jan as Joe Schmo. We're just Joe Schmo. Mm -hmm. The only difference is we got thrown in front of a camera with spotlights. Yeah. You know, but we're no different than anybody else out there, and we struggle just like everybody else does. Um, what we've discovered through our struggles in getting to the other side, which is why we do what we do today in encouraging people, is to be there because there were people who were there for us mm. that allowed us through that journey to actually understand exactly what you're saying. We need to be able to confess. 
We need to be able to confess to others. Um, hiding sin never is health is never healthy. Hiding sin is destructive. Mm. Hiding sin is like wrapping chains around your wrists, your ankles, and your neck. And it refuses to allow you to move forward and experience the fullness in Christ. Mm. And so community is where we find safe people we can trust that will allow us to express that pain without judgment, without criticism, without condemnation. Give us the freedom in that place to be able to express the sin in our life so that God can be at work in the healing process through the love of that community. And and that that presents a beautiful place. What if there were a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I wouldn't be loved less but more in the telling of it? That is a community of authentic believers doing life well with each other, Mm. following Jesus. And that quote isn't mine. That quote comes from the cure that John Lynch wrote. And, and it's a quote that has helped remind me that when I find myself stuck, I've got to run to somebody else and let them know I'm stuck. Let them know what's going on in my heart before I even follow through with the sin. Mm-hmm. That's where you got to catch it. And, and, and that's where there's real freedom. And that's where all of a sudden this beautiful fragrance of Christ starts coming out through the body of Christ as we create these kinds of communities um, which you know, I think is is just so exciting. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, um, I'm not even aware how much time we're we're doing good. Okay, yeah. um, okay. So and there's always the power of editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dave's a little wordy. I get it. <laughs> you could probably splice some dice, and, uh, but I do like this is an area I like talking about yeah. because there's another section. I just don't know how much time you have. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to make sure we can get to uh, maybe the last. 10 years so of 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 your life so far. So so you've kind of got that first part of your life which was which was uh, wrapped up in baseball and uh kind of it, it basically came to an end because of cancer. Uh you can go on YouTube and actually watch that game. I was just yeah. looking it up. You can go watch where your arm snapped. Yeah. Uh and uh so if you're listening, you can go, you can go Google Dave Dravecki. Arm yeah. snapping, yeah, <laughs> that's a thing that people can Google and find a video about you. <laughs> uh, oh, so you've got that phase. I'd and rather then send them to endurance.org and they can watch it there. <laughs> yeah. So then, then you've got the next phase of your life, which was just the aftermath of being a still a public figure, a motivational speaker, talking a, a little bit about Jesus, but also just kind of how to uh, make it through life. And I'm sure the Lord used you in mighty way. I know he did. Uh, I mean, I, I was even impacted by your story. Um, and as a little boy? <laughs> as an eighth grader. I did a book <laughs> oh, report. We, oh, sweet. I did a book report on uh, your biography. Yeah. And uh, I, I ended up presenting the gospel to my eighth grade class. Oh, that is so Through, cool, through that God. story and talked about how oh, God had... Man had walked with you through that. So anyway, the Lord's using you, even though you've got an ebb and flow, even though actually you're quite nasty to your family and struggling with some deep, deep sin. Yeah, You've got this phase of that type of struggle that no one really could see or know about. And now take us to maybe the last uh, 
10 years or so of your life um, and what God has been teaching you as you've kind of gotten a lot more distance from baseball, yeah. from celebrity life, mm. from being an amputee, from having cancer. There, there's something about distance in terms of time that when we get that, our perspective changes and grows. And also, it just seems to me that you step into, this is why I can't wait till I'm in my 50s and 60s, because you step into this beautiful place with the Lord mm. um, that's not necessarily any easier, but it's more full. You, you start to really see the fullness of the scriptures. You see the when you the the words are even more alive to you than they were before, or yeah. or God is just more tangible, maybe uh, in a in a relational way. Um, anyway, the, the last 10, 15 years of of your life, and describe how that's been and what what God has been teaching you. Yeah, it's it's you know I guess I would I would preface moving into those ten year last ten years by saying that. Um, as Jan came out of the, Jan and I both came out of the counseling. Um, it was it was a really sweet season, but then I moved right back into the checklist, mm. and it was still about performing to please God. Because for some reason, Kyle, I don't know if I didn't hear it, or if um, if I if it just wasn't taught. Um, and I would like to think the former. Than the latter, um, that you know, when Second Corinthians five seventeen says you've been made brand new, I that was such a foreign concept to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what that meant up and up until ten years ago. The ebbing and flowing um, was consistent, and and to be honest with you, even though I didn't become Mount Vesuvius anymore with Jan, there were still my moments where some of the I could say some really harsh things or my tone. I mean, that's always been the issue with me is my tone of voice, especially with my wife and my children. And, and so that tone always sent a, a, a message that would hurt. And all of a sudden, one day um, from reading The Cure, um, I found myself reading it out loud to Jan and talking about, what it had meant to me, and and in it, it was it was it was a message that the scriptures convey so clearly that we are uniquely made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and and when I read about the uniqueness of my life in the context of being made brand new, and actually instead of being just a sinner who got saved which is what up to that point I thought all I was. And I would still remain this broken person mm. who got saved. And that was it. And so I would constantly be dealing with my brokenness. And in that brokenness, try to please God by being better, less broken. And all of a sudden I realized that once I got saved, I had become a saint who sins. Well, I didn't have that concept. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that in the context of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Mm. 
And so when I ran into that, it was like God struck me with a lightning bolt. I was like, oh my gosh, this is who I really am. I was living out of Dave Dravecki, the sinner who Christ died on the cross for to fix. To fix. Instead of Dave Dravecki, the sinner who Christ died on the cross for, and all that sin got nailed to the cross with him. So I was dead in my sin, and Christ died once and for all for that sin. So now he's made me alive in him. I am a new creature in Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. For the first time in my journey as a Christian, those verses in Scripture shouted at me, this is who you are. Hmm. Live out of this place. And oh, by the way, I want to teach you a very important lesson. Your life is not about pleasing me. Your life is about trusting me. Mm. And when you trust me in the trusting, Dave, I am pleased. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Okay. This is really good because I'm starting to experience some freedom here. I actually don't have to put the effort in to do this thing. And, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, there's got to be some kind of effort here. But that's the interesting thing about trust. Trust comes with effort, but it's ambiguous. It's not like the list, mm-hmm. you know, the list that you continue to fail with. It's something much more ambiguous. So how do I keep leaning into Jesus more and more with each day? How do I grow in my faith and trust in him each day? What are those things about me that I can now look at and go, yes, you're on the right path. Now, just create a rhythm and a pace to life that will keep you close to my heart, Dave. That's all. I'm, I'm, I'm always here for you. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm in the middle of every storm. I'm in the middle of every every party where you're celebrating life. I'm in the middle of every sorrow, every laugh, every tear, every hug, every aspect of your journey. I'm right there with you, Dave. Mm. And what's beautiful about it, Dave, is you in me are a beautiful, beautiful person. You're you're an amazing person. You just need to live it. Hmm. And so I thought, wow, okay, I I don't know how to do this. Um, And maybe that's exactly why I've come to this understanding in my faith walk with him. You're not supposed to figure out how to do it. You just lean into it and trust him. And so I started, I was challenged five years ago to start reading the Bible through in a year, every year. And um Don Christensen has been challenging me for the past 25 years to do it. (laughs) And I finally took him up on the challenge. I had taken him up on the challenge many times prior, and I always failed. And so I'd get discouraged, beat myself up, because I wasn't good enough to please God with this area of my life. So I would just stop. I go, I'm not going to worry about it. All of a sudden, I finally took him up, Don, and I started reading through the scripture, and I made it the first year. And I had a big celebration. I did it. I read through the Bible the whole year. I told everybody, I did this. I did it. You hear what I'm saying? I did this. Mm. I did this. Mm. 
Mom said, and I was sitting there, and I go, you know what? I'm going to do it again. And so I did it again. And this time, oh, God is showing me stuff. God's moving me. I'm sensing there's a closer relationship with him. I'm, this is really cool. This way of life, these things that I used to be, be so bent out of shape over, obedience, you have to obey. I'd hear those words. Um, I would hear the word accountability. It was like nails on chalkboard to me. <laughs> I don't want to be accountable to anybody because when I am accountable, when I was in groups of accountability in the church, I was the only one being held accountable. And that hurts so bad. Mm. And I thought, I don't ever want to be accountable again, but I'd be more than willing to do life with you because in doing life, I'm going to get to know you. And as I get to know you, I'm going to trust you. And as I, as I know you more, I'll trust you more. And I'm, then I'm sitting there, I'm scratching my head, I'm going, oh, maybe God's sending me a message about this. Maybe if I spend a little more time with him, I'll actually start getting to know him more. And as I get to know him more, I'll actually discover who he really is. And as I discover who he really is, I'll discover who I really am because he's now revealing to me who I am as I read the scriptures. Hmm. And Kyle, this became the most beautiful journey. And my wife will validate this. She said, you know, Dave reads a lot of books. And he gets fired up and passionate about these books he reads. And he gets all things. And it lasts for about two weeks, and then it's gone. But I can tell you, and I can confirm to you, and I'm speaking as Jan now, that this has stuck to Dave's heart because it's been 11 years now. And I have been wooed by my Savior mm. into the bosom of his loving embrace. My father holds me in his loving arms. And I get that more today than I've ever gotten it. And the reason why is because I worship on a regular basis. And I'm getting fed here at Red Mountain. And it's not just being fed, but it's being ushered in to a sweet place with God as I worship the King of Kings. Mm. I am being drawn closer to the heart as I dive into Scripture. I'm actually in Revelation right now, which is freaking me out. <laughs> and some of the images are so scary. But there is such a calm that I have in my heart. There's no fear because I'm His. And so no matter what happens, I'm his. And so I can look at Revelation and all the prophecies that have been coming through the prophets that I've been reading um, in the final days of the year, and I can realize, and then the sweet words in the latter Psalms of David, rejoicing and celebrating the King of kings and the Lord of lords for who he is. And I go, that's my God, and I'm his kid, and I'm safe. I'm safe with him because no matter what happens to me here on this earth, I'm with him for eternity. That's my hope. That's my promise. And so as I read it more, as I dive in more, I want more. What's happened is, you know, this past Sunday, you said something that was very profound. Just stay in it. Don't give up on it. Just because you might miss a couple days, stay in it. Because every time you choose to stay in it, 
the more he woos you to his heart. Mm, And as he woos you towards his heart, the more you begin to experience the freedom that comes from knowing not just who he is, but who you are in relationship to him, which goes all the way back to the challenge that Byron Ballard gave me when I chose to read the scripture. Dave, will you read the Bible to discover who you are in relationship to him? So what's so significant about that, Kyle, is that it's the word of God that has transformed my life. And it's the fellowship of the believers that confirms it and encourages me to move forward with them in unity as we pursue this wonderful God who's already pursuing us. And it becomes a beautiful picture of the life that I now get to live Without the bondage of the mask, the masks are gone. What you see is what you get. And if you don't like it, I don't care because I know somebody who loves it. And that's all that matters to me. And so being ushered into that place over these past 10 years has been the greatest gift that God has given me outside of his son. Mm. Um, Because I am really experiencing the fullness of life like I've never experienced it. And I know I'm going to hit road bumps on the way. I know I'm going to run into another figurative wall and get a bloody nose. I know that. But the reality is I am now in a pace and a rhythm that is moving with him. And by the grace of God, that will never stop. Hmm. Never stop. And, and, and so I'm just, today, this day, I am really grateful for that. Yeah. Well, Dave, this has been, uh, this has been a great little chat. I appreciate uh you sharing your heart and uh, how you know our Advent season has all been about how Jesus pursues hearts, and we've seen that on full display in your life as you've shared uh, through all the ups and downs. Mm. God has been faithful to really get at your heart and to move into that zone where He's engaging with your heart and you're engaging your heart with Him, yeah. and also understanding a deeper sense of His heart. I'm sure we could be here uh, for a long time chatting. Yeah. I know we could. Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we close, maybe with reading a couple scriptures? Yeah, you've uh, mentioned a couple here, so let me read Second Corinthians five, and then whatever scripture you want to read. Yeah, uh, if it's that Galatians one or yeah. or whatever. Let me let me let's finish with that, just to encourage people listening, uh, and state these truths uh, for for. Uh, those listening, this is this is Second uh, Corinthians five. Uh, we'll do sixteen through twenty-one. These verses were important for my life. I feel like mm. I did not understand my purpose. I did not understand who I was in Christ until I actually read this passage. This has this passage has absolutely shaped mm. my existence, my yeah. perspective, and my understanding of Christianity. So 2 Corinthians 5.16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's powerful. So good. Yeah, that is so good. I mean, that is freedom. Yep. There is great freedom in that verse. And man, I wish you would have read that to me when I became a Christian. (laughs) Holy smokes. I got to call Byron and tell him, why didn't you do that? (laughs) Jump all over him. Yeah. Um, That is such a beautiful verse. And you know, again, it's the scripture. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, and I, and, I, and I read it from the message because it really spoke to my heart um, at the level of where I was at at yeah. the time when this hit me. Yeah. And, and so in Eugene's words that he, uh, that he shares with us um, with this passage, Paul says uh, to the Galatians, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules. The Apostle Paul is so beautiful coming from him. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God. I could relate to that so much in my life. And it didn't work. He says it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. And, and I was like, oh my gosh. I want desperately to be God's man. He goes on to say, Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. Mm. And that last sentence, when he says, I am not going to go back on that, that rings over and over in my head with the experience that I've had in the last 11 years. I'm not going back on this. I want to be God's man. Um, I'm not out to impress anybody. I am here to live out of who I am in Christ. Christ is in me. Why do I have to think about impressing anyone when Christ himself lives in me? Mm. You know, here's a beautiful thing in, in kind of wrapping up what I would love to share is when I realized who I was in Christ I also understood I got all the Holy Spirit, not just some of them. I got them all. And so if the Holy Spirit now lives in me, then Kyle, the fruit of the Spirit, is in me. And that is part of who I am. So if that's who I am, then can I trust the Holy Spirit to live through me? If he is all-powerful and supernatural, can I actually trust that the fruit of the Spirit could be what is reflected in my life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Can, can I actually 
through this through the trust of the Holy Spirit, see those things come out. And I can tell you with all honesty, it floors me and my wife. My wife laughs when we think about this and we talk about it. And she goes, Dave, there is no other explanation for you in relationship to the way you love, the joy you have, the peace you have, the patience you've, you've, you've displayed, um, the kindness, the goodness, the self-control, other than the Holy Spirit. Because I can tell you right now, you don't have the ability to do that. <laughs> and Kyle, that's where I go, you know what? I, I, I'm so tired of putting, you know, I'm putting restrictions on what God, and can't, God can and can't do in my life. Mm. God is all-powerful. And he can do supernatural things through us if we just get out of his way and trust him. And, and that's how I want to live my life. Mm. Well, again, thanks for sharing. Mm. Um, I look forward to just continuing to be a part of your life and have you be a part of my life and our church. I'm, I'm thankful for your example of transparency. I'm thankful for your work for the kingdom mm. that you do. Uh, and all the opportunities you still have and how you engage those with, with your wife is just amazing. So thanks thanks uh, again for sharing. Thanks for being a part of our church and for yeah. continuing continue to just be a faithful presence of the Lord among us. Um, that goes a long way. I appreciate that. And thank you. You know, um, I've told you this often, but um, you have so much to give to this community here at Red Mountain, and you give it. And uh, we're just so grateful. Um, you know, when we talk about um, the messages when we go home, um, that's a powerful thing to be able to have a conversation with your wife about what you've just been encouraged with. And um, just want you to know that you're anointed and that God is using you in a powerful way. And he's using your team in a powerful way. And we're just really grateful to be a part of this body and to enjoy what God is doing in and through all of you. Mm. So thank you, and Merry Christmas, my friend. <laughs> thank you. Merry Christmas to you yeah, as well. thank you. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Dave Dravecki today. Uh, he's an incredible man, and God is using him all over the place to reach people and encourage people uh, with the good news of Christ. If you're interested in knowing more about his life and knowing more about the ministry he has, you can visit endurance.org. That's the name of his organization, and that's the name of his ministry. You can find resources there, videos, and all kinds of uh, neat things. Be sure to also subscribe to the Red Mountain Community Church podcast if you have not done so already. You'll be notified. If you do that, you'll be notified as soon as we uh, drop a new episode. We hope each of these are a blessing to you. Our heart in doing these is really to give testimony to God's grace and his glory in the lives of people in our church. It's very hard to do that on a, on a Sunday morning or, or even in other places. We found that this is a great avenue for us to hear what God is doing in the lives of people sitting next to each other in, in church on a Sunday morning or walking by each other in the lobby. God is doing so much in this church. And I uh, love to hear more about that. I love to share these stories. And so I hope these are a blessing to you. I hope they're an encouragement to you. And I hope they're a challenge to you. We want to be a church that's growing in Christ. And uh, I hope these stories inspire you to uh, endure in your relationship with Jesus, to pursue him in a greater way and to, to understand the depths of his love for you. So I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. God bless. God bless.